Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. And he is good, isn't he? Amen. Amen. Well, take your copy of God's Word. Begin to find Genesis chapter 50. Um, we're starting and continuing in our series. Uh, go back to the other slide for a sec. Okay, so don't make a comment about that. Uh, we're doing a series called Character Sketches, and I just want to give a shout out to Rebecca Carr. She made that for me, and uh, she did an awesome job. So thank you, Rebecca, for doing that. And uh, I saw a slide similar to that, and I sent her a, a text and asked her if she'd do something for me. And wow, I was so impressed. So thank you for doing that for me. I appreciate that. Well, in Genesis chapter 50, we run into our next character, and that is Joseph. Now, the problem about Joseph is in the book of Genesis is that a fourth of the book of Genesis is written about Joseph. Um, but what I want to do today is I, I'm talking about and entitling the message, God works all things to good. I don't know if you believe that or not, but I do. I believe God works all things to good. And we're going to talk what that means, and we're going to expand that as we go through this morning in our sermon. Uh, but I, I, that's sort of the premise of where we're going. And there's so much that can be said about Joseph's life, and we can look into so many uh, aspects of his life. But, you know... <laughs> Where do you really point to? And so I sort of wanted to just sort of come to the, the apex, the, 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 the top, and, and really look at all of his life boils down to really God is good, and he works things to good. If you look at Joseph's life, you, we get the privilege of seeing after the effect, right? We get to see the privilege of what God has done through his life. But as, as I was thinking about preaching this sermon, I sort of wanted to sort of give you a, a question to sort of spin off of this morning. And that is, do you at times ever think that life is just unfair? Yeah, we all laugh, we chuckle, we sort of, we sort of all had some, something along the path of our life. We say, that's just unfair. You know, sometimes life, let's just be honest, sometimes life is just tough. You know why? Because life is life. And sometimes there are just tough things in life. And we wish they weren't tough, but they are tough. And we sort of wonder, you know, why is it so tough sometimes? But I wonder this morning if we got a, a different perspective, if we had maybe some new light shined in our hearts or, you know, some truth planted this morning into our hearts. I wonder if in the midst of the difficult times, in the midst of the times we feel like Things are really unfair. I wonder if we would find peace and joy in the midst of it. I really believe that's the case. I really believe that Joseph's life helps us to find some principles, some things that we can apply into our life that we will find some joy and some peace in the midst of difficult days. And by the way, if you're not in one, you probably just came out of one. And if you're not in one and just coming out of one, perhaps... There's one around the bend waiting on you <laughs> because we all go through tough days. We can't avoid them as much as we would like to. Dr. Um, what's his name? A.M. Overton was a pastor in Mississippi and 
he went to Mississippi with his wife and three children, and soon his wife was expecting. Well, the delivery time came, and when he went to the hospital, uh, as did happen in some days in past, the mother and the baby, for some reason, didn't make it. And at the funeral, as the minister was preaching his wife's funeral, he happened to glance down and saw Pastor Overton writing some things on a piece of paper. And after the funeral was over, the minister really couldn't contain himself. And he, he went over and he said, Brother, I noticed that during you know, the eulogy that you were writing something down on a piece of paper. Would you mind sharing it? And he shared this poem with them. He entitled the poem, He Maketh No Mistake. He said, my father's way may, be, may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad I know he's making no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead. For he does know the way. There's no, or excuse me, there's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim, but come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by, the mist will lift and plain in all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. I wonder if there's times in our life where we feel like, God, you're making some mistake. We quote this verse all the time, don't we? Romans 8, 28. For God does what? He, he takes all things and he works them together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. We quote that all the time. But then we, when we quote it, then we say, but God, life's still unfair. Life's still tough. And what I want us to do today is I want us to see how Joseph's life really illustrates God's truth of Romans 828. Joseph has a lot of information. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give us a survey, a quick survey. Matter of fact, I want you to buckle up your seatbelts of your brain because we're about to go 150 miles an hour through the book of Genesis chapter 37 through verse to chapter 50 in a nutshell. So you just hang on. Okay. I want you to think about Joseph's life. First of all, what you need to know is that Joseph grew up in a dysfunctional family. His family was not the typical family. Amen? By the way, is there a typical family? I, I don't know any family that doesn't have some kind of dysfunction in the family. And if they don't, they're probably robots. But when you begin to think about dysfunctional family, when Joseph was 17 years old, it was quite obvious to his other brothers, his other 10 brothers, that he was the favorite child. Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved all the other boys. And to prove his love, he gave Joseph what we call the coat of many colors. And so Joseph not only is this favorite boy of Jacob. By the way, you think Jacob would have understood the dysfunction of that because his daddy did not favor him. He favored his brother over him. You would think he learned his lesson, but he didn't. And so he has his favorite boy. And as a result of getting this coat of many colors and as a result of the favoritism, guess what? His brothers hated him. Now that shouldn't surprise us, should it? I mean, he's the favorite, he's the golden child. And so the other brothers, they hated him, they despised him. And then on top of all that, Joseph had these two dreams 
And he would have been better off keeping the dreams to himself, but no, he had to tell his brothers, hey, there's going to be a day, guess what, where you're going to bow down to me. And not only did he tell his brothers, but then he had another dream and his mom and his dad. So they're sitting at the supper table and you can just imagine the conversation. And Joseph said, oh, by the way, I want you all to know something. I had one of those other dreams, (laughs) but this time, mama and daddy, guess what? You're going to bow down to me as well. And his dad said, not going to happen, son. But you know what the Bible says? Daddy kept that in his heart. He pondered. Remember Mary pondered things in his heart? Jacob pondered in his heart. He kept it close to his breast. Maybe God is doing something, but his brothers, the Bible said, moved a step further in their hate and they envied him. They hated him. So one day the brothers are out tending some sheep in a far land. By the way, they're in a place called Dothan. Let me promise you, don't go to Dothan, okay? Because listen, when, when he goes out to find them, he's wandering around and they tell him that your brothers are in Dothan. So he goes to Dothan to find his brothers. As he's approaching, they see him in a distance. They say, here comes that little dreamer. And you know what their plan was? Let's kill him. That's how much they hated him. They wanted to kill him. Just tell God you're in church. He knows, well, he knows that, right? So just put your phone on silent, please. That'll keep us from distractions. But notice, so they want to kill him. And so Reuben, being the honorable guy, talks them all out of him and says, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a pit, blah, blah, blah. And they throw him into a pit. And so they sit down. After they throw him in a pit, they sit down. And you know what they do? They have lunch. (laughs) And they eat a meal, and after they're done, they decided, because they saw some Ishmaelite slave trade people coming by, they decided, hey, let's make some money off this little guy. Let's not kill him. We can make some money. And so what do they do? They sell him to the Ishmaelites who carry him down into Egypt. So the boys, in their devious minds, they take the coat of many colors, they dip it in some blood, and they take it back, and they tell poor Jacob, your son's dead. And so Jacob grieves because he thinks his boy Joseph is dead. All the time they know in their conniving, scheming minds that they sold him off to Egypt. Joseph, we find, goes down to Egypt. You're holding on with me, right? He goes down to Egypt. This is like a soap opera, you know what I'm saying? So he goes down to Egypt. And can you imagine in the back of his mind, I don't know what would have been in the back of your mind, but I would have probably been on my way down to Egypt thinking, this has not turned out to be a very good day. I mean, this is not just I had a flat tire trying to go to work day. You know what I'm saying? This is like my engine blew up in my car kind of day. Can you kind of get amen to that? It's a bad day. So he goes down into Egypt and he ends up being bought by a guy named Potiphar who is this official, right? And so Potiphar takes him home, puts him in his household. But here's the wonderful truth. For the first time in chapter 39, verse 2, we hear the backdrop of what God is doing. And it said that God was with Joseph. And then it goes on in verse seven and verse nine to say that God was with Joseph. And so therefore he what? He prospered him. Potiphar says, man, God's all over this boy. And so he raises him up and he becomes the head of the household. The only person greater than him is Potiphar himself. And then one day, as it always seems to happen when you're on a mountaintop and you come down and God's blessed you and things are great and high, the next time we see Joseph, he's being falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife. Why? Because she, in her sinfulness, tries to make advances, but he, in his godliness, says two things to her. Number one, there's no way this is gonna happen because my master trusts me 
and I am not going to break the trust of my master. That is Potiphar. The second thing he says is, there's no way it's going to happen, honey, because let me tell you something. I love God, and because I love God, listen, I am not going to sin a great sin against him. Do you begin to see God's all over this kid? I mean, he's just a kid. He's about 17, 18 years of age. He's just a kid. And God is all over this boy. But what happens? Potiphar believes his wife. Can I get an amen from all the guys? Right? Because he doesn't want to sleep on the couch. He doesn't want to be in a doghouse. And so she conjures up this story. He gets arrested and thrown in jail. What do we do at that point? God, where are you? Things were going great. Things were going good. Now look at me. I'm in jail. He rots in jail until Pharaoh decides to send two of his uh, servants there, a butler and a baker. The butler and the baker come, and then guess what? They have dreams, and in the midst of their dreams, they see these different scenarios of their life. And so they asked Joseph about these dreams, and Joseph said, listen, I can't interpret dreams, but I know who can. It's God. God can give us the, the meaning. And so he seeks the Lord. He comes back and says, hey, I got good news and bad news. What do you want first? <laughs> the butler, which is called a cupbearer in the day, he had a dream that he was restored. And sure enough, within three days, Pharaoh was celebrating and he restored the butler. And the baker thought, well, man, there's a great interpretation. Maybe that's going to happen to me. No, not so much. His interpretation was he was going to be hung and the birds would come and eat his eyeballs. And guess what happened? Exactly what happened. What was dreamed. But here's the thing. Joseph said to that butler guy, he said, now guy, listen, now I'm paraphrasing. Now remember, when you're back handing the cup to Pharaoh, remember this name, Joseph. Remember me. Please remember me. Guess how much time goes by? Two years. Joseph's still in jail to think about this. Is anything going to go right? God, where are you? Can you imagine? Will we not be asking those kinds of questions? God, where are you? Two years later, guess who has a dream? Pharaoh. Pharaoh now has one dream. He has two dreams. And they upset him so much, he doesn't understand what they're about. And so he's trying to get these divinators, these, these, these guys who are supposed to be wise people to interpret. They can't interpret it. And finally, the butler's listening in on the conversation because that's what he's doing, butting in, right? So he's listening to the conversation. What does he say? Oh, hey, sir, I remember this guy named Joseph, this Hebrew. He's down in the jail. We, we had these dreams and, you know, the, the dream became true. The interpretation became true. And so he says, well, where's this guy at? Go get him. So they take Joseph from the jail. They clean him up. They make him look Egyptian style. And they bring him before Pharaoh. And, he, and Pharaoh says, can you interpret the dream? And what does he say? No, I cannot. But I know who can. So he seeks the Lord. And in seeking the Lord, he comes back and he tells Pharaoh, hey, there's going to be a great famine in the land. And then there's going to be this plenty in the land. So seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. You better make preparations. You better get ready. You better have some wise people who know what to do economically so your country can survive. And what does he do? He says, you're the dude. <laughs> he said, you're so wise. You're so smart. And by the way, at this time, the Bible says he's about 30 years old. 
And so 30 years old, he becomes the second in command of all of Egypt. Was God on his life? God was on his life. Did Joseph necessarily see God's hand every step he took? No. We're privileged. We get to see the after story. We get to see what happened. We're supposed to be encouraged by this. We're supposed to realize that God is good and that he does turn everything that's bad into good in our lives. And listen, the outcome of that may not necessarily be what you're thinking it should be. And it may not be a Joseph story. You may not be the second in command of some great nation. But nonetheless, God is still working in your life to bring about what's best for you. We're going to sort of conclude that at the end of the sermon day to begin to understand that. So here is Joseph, second in command of all the nation. But that's not where his story ends. See, because this this great, great harvest comes in and then great famine hits the land. It didn't just hit Egypt though, it hit back home. And now his family is getting to a place they're running out of food. And Jacob says to his boys, hey, I hear that there is food to buy in Egypt. Go to Egypt and buy some food and bring it back home. And so they go to Egypt to buy food and guess who they have to deal with? That's it, little brother. Little brother. What does little brother do? Well, little brother treats them really pretty kindly. But then he says, hey, do you have anybody at home? Like, is your dad still alive? And they're like, yeah, dad's still alive. Our little brother's at home. And and so he says, okay, then here's what we're gonna do. We're going to keep one of you here, ends up being Simeon. We're going to keep you here. We'll send the rest of y'all back until you bring your little brother. When you bring your little brother, then I'll let y'all go back home. They're like, oh, no, no, that's not going to work. Because, see, see, dad already lost his favorite son. Benjamin's his second favorite son. And so if, for some reason, we bring him back down here and something happens to him, dad's going to die for sure. Joseph said, too bad. This is the plan. And so Joseph tells his folks to put the grain together take the money that they paid for the grain and put it back in the bags. They get halfway home. They get, they want a little snack. So they open up the bag and they're like, Oh oh no, our money's in the bag. And so they go, they go back home. They tell their dad the whole story. So they sort of just make do what they got. Right. Then guess what? Food only lasts so long because it's like when we go to the grocery store and we stock the house, you know, eventually sooner or later we want to eat out again. Right. So they want to eat out again. So they're, they're going to send them down a second time. And they go the second time. They take Benjamin with them. When Joseph sees them, we find out that he begins, begins to weep because he realizes that he loves his family. Now he's in a position to do whatever he wants to them. He's in a position to throw them all in jail. Listen, he's in a position to put them in a pit if that's what he so chose to do. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He, favor, he's, he, he shows favoritism to Benjamin. He gives him five portions of food when he doesn't do that for the rest, gives him more clothes than the rest, sends them back home, but only after he reveals his character and who he is. Now you can imagine in chapter 45, when Joseph reveals who he is, in their minds, they're thinking, oh no, we in trouble. And for the first time, Joseph tells us, hey guys, don't be afraid. I'm in God's place. Wow, that, that rocks my world. I don't know about that rocking your world, but that rocks my world because when I'm going through difficult time, when I'm seeing all the trouble that's around me and the things that I'm in, I don't necessarily go, I'm in God's place. Now I realize this is the, this is the highlight of his life. I realize it's when he's second in command, but everything he's been through, 
He seems somehow in his spirit to know God is moving him along to bring him to this place for a particular purpose in his life. And so what happens? Joseph reveals his family. They end up moving the whole family into Goshen in Egypt. Daddy comes, the whole family comes. They camp there. And then something tragic happens. Daddy dies. And so chapter 49 Jacob dies. Chapter 50, we get some more instruction about in the beginning of chapter 50 about his death. And then in verse 17 of chapter 50, or verse 15 rather, through verse 18, what we find out is the brothers again, fear and panic strike their heart. And they go, oh, dad's dead. Now because dad's dead, for sure, for sure, Jacob was just trying to withstand doing something to us until dad was dead. Now that dad's dead, the restraints are off. He can do what he wants to do. And so they go to Joseph and they say, hey, while dad was still living, he told us to tell you. (laughs) Now at this point, do you believe them? Uh Uh-uh. While dad was still living, he told us to tell you, hey, please be kind to us. You know, please, please, please be kind to us. (laughs) They realize he has the power and the authority to do whatever he wants to do. But then we pick up the text for the day. I'm just now starting to preach. Did you realize that? (laughs) That's the background. But I want you to see what this godly man does because I think in the midst of our pain and suffering, in the midst of the trials and when things fall off, when we are wishing that life was fair and God, where are you? We can find peace and joy if we'll have the attitude of Joseph. Listen to what he says. Pick up verse 19 of chapter 50. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for I am I in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about that it is to this day, the saving of many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I tell you, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I want you to write down four things. And we're going to hang our hat on four things this morning. I pray will help you along the journey when life's not fair. And the first thing we find is in verse 19. And that is this. You and I are not God. You and I are not God, so don't play God. Amen? It is a tendency when we're going through difficult times to play God. God, you're unfair. God, where are you? It's, it's easy to look at other people that are causing the, the problems in our life and the chaos in our life and to want to play God. You know, we, we, want, you know, we want vengeance. And sometimes we'll say, okay, I believe God's going to give vengeance, but I want it now. I want to see God do it now. And you know, Joseph was in a place where if he was to take vengeance on all of those 10 brothers of his, not one of us in this room would have said, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. They deserve what they got. And then we'd be real godly. We would quote Galatians and say, what you sow, you reap. Amen. Don't play God. That's how he says it. Look at the text again. He says, Do not be afraid. Don't worry, he says. Don't tremble. Why? For am I in the place of God? Listen, Joseph understood. 
No matter what he had been through, and let's remember, he's been through a lot. Can you imagine? It's not just the fact they threw him in a pit. It's not just the fact they sold him. It's not just the fact that he was falsely accused in Potiphar's house. It's not the fact that he was just forgotten in prison. But can you imagine that his life was miserable even before he was sold? At 17 years of age, before his life moved on, it had to be pitiful to live in a dysfunctional family where your brothers probably picked on him on a constant basis. You want to talk about bullying. Now, I grew up in a household of six boys. And our brothers, we love each other. But I know what it's like to live with boys. It's tough some days. Amen? You know how I learned how to swim? My brothers threw me in the pool and either sink or swim. And I learned how to swim. So it reminds me of that old John Wayne clip. Tim, you like John Wayne. Picks that little boy up and throws him out into, into the pond. You know, it's tough. So here is this boy, now a man, who's been through extreme circumstances in his life. And rather than taking the authority and the position that he enjoyed and using it to abolish his evil workers called brothers, he loves on them. And he tells them, I'm not God. You don't have to worry. I have no intention of doing anything to you. That's powerful. When we're in the midst of the throes of our problems, and listen, a lot of our problems, let's just be honest, a lot of our problems are other people. Amen? But you know what? A lot of somebody else's problem is us. <laughs> Amen? Let's just be honest. We're not always innocent. But in the midst of that, we have to realize we're not God. Let's give people a break. Amen? Are you with me? That's tough. I'm going to tell you, that's not easy for Mike Foreman. That's something I have to pray about and ask God to help me with. To internalize that truth and to live that truth. That's hard. That's hard. The second thing he did in the text, so realize you're not God. The second thing he did in the text, we find it in the beginning of verse 20. And listen to what he says. But as for you, you meant evil against me. Here's the second thing. Acknowledge the unpleasant. Why is it that we try to pretend everything's okay? I know a preacher uh, that if you were to talk to him, you say, how you doing, brother? And everything's great. Everything's wonderful. I'm walking on cloud nine. <laughs> but then you, if you were to look into his life, you'd find his church doesn't like him. He's uh, lost a lot of members and been through a lot of fighting and bickering and arguing. That don't seem fine to me, Robbie. That seems like there's some trouble going on. Seems like some difficulty. Listen, he never acknowledges there's an unpleasantness. Listen, just because we acknowledge unpleasant doesn't mean we dwell in it. Doesn't mean we live in it. But neither do we, Steve, bury our head in the sand and pretend like nothing's happened. Joseph said, you guys intended evil. You guys worked your magic against me. You threw me in a pit. You were going to kill me, but then you sold me. Do you realize what you did to my life? You've got to grow up with our father. I've been living in Egypt all these years. Did he do that? No, he didn't do that. But he acknowledged, hey guys, what you did was wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. Don't bury your head in the sand and pretend nothing's ever happened. How do you get over something in life if you pretend it never happened and you bury it? Joseph didn't do that. And you know what? When he dealt with the unpleasantness in his life, 
I believe it kept him from being bitter, from being angry, because that means he processed it, right? He was able to walk through it and process what had happened to him. And it was a whole line of, of stuff. But you know what? He was the better for it. The next thing he did, notice in the text, not only did he acknowledge the unpleasant, but listen, he trusted in God's providence. Now, this is the hardest point of all, right? But notice in the text of verse 20, he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about to this day the saving of many people alive. Think about that for a minute. Joseph believed and trusted in God's providence in his life. Can I just ask you a question? Is God sovereign? And if God is sovereign, and if he is sovereign over your life and in my life, then we have to know that whatever we go through, whatever the circumstance may be, God's in the midst of it. He may not be causing it, but I can promise you this, he's working in it. I want you to notice the difference. The intention of the brothers was death. Get rid of this kid. The intention of God was life. See, they intended to snuff him out. God intended to save a nation. Think about that. I want you to think about the fact that when you're going through something, you may be saying, God, this is unfair, unpleasant. I don't want to do this. But what is God ultimately doing? See, in the midst of our problem, we get our eyes on the problem and we forget that there's a God of providence who loves me, who works all things to good in my life. Therefore, I have no true perspective, but a fleshly one that's unpleasant and hurts and is full of pain. But when I begin to ask God, God, what is it that's going on here? What are you trying to do? Who knows what big things God may be doing? in your life. We're going to wrap it down to one main thing I know he's doing. And every single person that's in this room, I know he's doing it through your pain and your suffering and through the things that you're going through in your life. And so they intended evil, but God had a plan to save a nation. The Hebrew writer, all these great guys of the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, listen to what the Hebrew writer said about Joseph by faith, Joseph. See what kept him going? His faith his trust in the providence of God. He believed God was right with him. He says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, here we're talking about later in his life when he's dying, <coughs> excuse me, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. See, even in his dying days, Joseph said, God is still working. God is still doing something. God is still in the midst of our tragedy. And you know what? It would be a long bondage before they were released, huh? And they could look back over Joseph's life and say, but Joseph the patriarch, boy, he went through trial and tribulation and suffering and God was with him. Is God not gonna be with us in this? And it's no different than your life today. Is God with you in the midst of it? He is. He promised he'd never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you. He's there. Amen? You got to trust the providence of God. You got to trust what he said, that he works all things to good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. He does that. But that's not all Joseph did. Because we receive so much grace from God, we are called to be grace givers. 
And notice the last part in verse 21. Joseph extends grace. He says, now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He extended grace. So you and I, when we go through tough times, it's hard to be grace givers. You know, what we want to be is Bible thumpers. (laughs) Sometimes we want to give somebody a little piece of our fist or a piece of our advice, a tongue lashing, because they deserve it. But Joseph said, you know what? Because God is in my life and God has done these great things in my life and given me such grace all throughout the pit, the travel down to Egypt by the Ishmaelites. While I was on the slave block, I got bought by Potiphar. Even when I was falsely accused, even when I was thrown in jail and forgotten for two years, God had his hand on me. God was with me. I believe in his providence. More importantly, I am thankful for his grace. And because of the grace that God gives me in the midst of my trial, in the midst of my suffering, I can be a grace bearer to other people. Even the very ones who hurt me. You're saying, that's beyond me, pastor. (laughs) It's beyond all of us. That's why it's God who does his work in and through us. And that's what God was doing. He was working in and through Joseph in order to save a nation. By the way, you know what Jesus said about that anyway. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 through 45. Jesus said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be, here it is, that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Yes, love your enemies. Give them grace. That's hard, but that's what's asked and commanded of us. So see, God really does work all things together for good for those, by the way, the qualifications, right? For those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Love God, but called. That is, born again. You're his. You belong to him. He has effectually called you to be his child. And then he says, listen, according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Let's wrap it up. This one verse, Romans 8, 29. We always forget it. We always quote the first half. What's the second half? For who God foreknew, he predestined. He predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What did God do in your life and in my life in saving us was to make us like Jesus. When you're going through the tough times of life, when the circumstances are bad and you're saying, this is not good, God is. And God's intention is not the intention of the evil around you or the suffering you're in. God's intention is to make you like Jesus. My friends, that's a new perspective. And that's the fresh light that I'm talking about today that will carry us with peace and joy in the midst of life that's unfair. Let's pray. 
Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.